This is the SFF Audio Podcast. I hear we have some new arrivals, recent recent yes, arrivals we do. and uh, new releases. Yes, we do. Um, okay, let's, okay let, I'll, let's start with Audible. Okay. Okay, because Audible's got uh, two really cool things um, out. Um, the first is a pair from Audible Frontiers, a couple mm-hmm. of old uh, Arthur C. Clarke novels. One of them is The Fountains of Paradise, and the other one is A Fall of Moon Dust. Um, so yeah, I'm eager to hear uh, A Fall of Moon Dust. I read that as a as a youngster, and um, Arthur C. Clarke was one of my favorite authors uh, as I was growing up. Now, The Fountains of Paradise is one of those books that um, I never did get to, so I'm it's looking forward to that, too. I'm just looking at it. It looks, uh, looks That's the Space Elevator one. Yeah, yeah. the Space uh, Elevator one, right. That was sort of yeah. popular in the late 70s, wasn't it? Yeah, I have read it. Um, Great. I, to be honest, I can't think? remember a lot. Cause it, I don't know, it's about 15 years ago now. Um, <laughs> But yeah, it's it's the space elevator. It's known as the like the the book of the space elevator, and it right. talks. That is like the main uh, one of the main devices in it, really. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems yeah. that you can you can measure a lot of these things by what was popular theoretical at the time. Yeah, like that's I remember mm-hmm. when Dyson spheres came out. Suddenly, everybody had a Dyson sphere around their sun for a few years, and then that petered out. And then so it just goes from from theoretical thing to theoretical thing. Mm-hmm. Like fads, basically. Yeah. <laughs> These days, it's augmented reality and stuff like that. Right. Yeah, that's great. Well, that's that's what you just wrote, didn't you? Your first novel that you released was not. Yeah, I mean that that's in there. That's in there, and people are going, "Oh, yeah, it's great." And I'm like, "Yeah, but it's not exactly new." I mean, other it, it people. Sounded, it, it sounded to me like sort of a modern version of Virtual Light by William Gibson, from your description uh, of it. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I mean, I that idea is, I think, I, I put it in there. One of the themes of the book was sort of like the evolution of uh, and the development of some personal electronic devices. So that in other chapters, which got edited out, talked a lot more about uh, in the different, because it's set over a long period of time, about over 20 years. At the beginning of it, people are just using, you know, laptops and cell phones, and then they're using smartphones, and then they're using smartphones with um, different screens, and then it goes on to what I call the viewers, which is sort of like it's all in, it's like an all-in-one device, which has encompassed televisions and radios, because you don't need all the, any of these external devices anymore. Um, well, what about so, so that, an audio it, it, version of this, this book? Of, oh, what, what's it, your book called? Your first novel? It's, it's, my first novel is Minding Tomorrow. Um, Minding Tomorrow, yeah, right. Yeah, um, I, I wouldn't... Greg Marguerite, wouldn't, what, what do you say to uh, <laughs> this man who needs an audiobook? Oh, to be honest, I'll consider would, anything. I think, I think that would be a very difficult book to do an audio version of, specifically because the... Um, again, I'm not going to give it away too much, but there are characters who, who you think are different people who end up in the same as the same character because it's quite a large cast and not all of them ah. stay set see so it would actually be really difficult to do Spoiler that horrific. because because it, it's not it's not a big spoiler it, put it this way. done you know it, it takes a skilled narrator that's true it would take a skilled narrator but you know i was thinking oh maybe i'll record it myself and put it out i thought i'm not going to be skillful enough to do this <laughs> that's one of the well, reasons why i've not not bothered doing it because well not bothered i haven't i haven't considered the work in because for me it would be like a massive Greg would probably do it 
you know, I mean, that's uh, what it, he does. It's the, what you may, it's not what I do, but it, it, it no, may I'm just saying. what you, um, you, you may just need more than one person. I, I wrote a series of stories, and I was very careful through the whole 16 stories never to reveal the gender of the main character. And, yeah. uh, and so I always thought ahead that when I would do that, if I were to do it in audio, I'd have a different person read it for each story. So, ah, so was know, it first person, though? Uh, yeah, but I mean, I literally, the first uh, one, okay, maybe, yeah, yeah. maybe I do. The second one might no, be saying, somebody, you know, a woman. It was, yeah, 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 I'm saying, but when you read it, I mean, is, is, was, it, was the text in, was it written in first person? It is written in first person, but, but yeah, you never okay, actually know anything about mm. the character, kind of like uh, Patrick McGowan's Prisoner. You, you know, you, you just yeah. don't know. And so, I, you know, my plan in the future, if I ever do this, is to have different actors from different places, parts of the world, including different genders, all read an individual story. So you basically, the protagonist's voice changes from one yeah, story to the next. You can get uh, males, uh, males to do it in falsetto and females to do it in falsetto. I, yeah. Again, I'm willing to consider anything. <laughs> <laughs> Might be a little With distracting. It, my novel, though, it's because uh, it's not really a spoiler that one of the characters does change his identity and turns out. Because in the first chapter, you see him, his name at the beginning of the chapter is different from his name at the end of his chapter he actually changes his identity as he as he breaks up with one girlfriend and then goes off and finds another another girlfriend um which is you know so it, it's not so much a spoiler i mean the clue is right there in the first chapter and you know designed to be but it's only a third of the way through the book where you it, it's made that that character is made explicit but it would be it would be difficult, I think, to do it. And I was thinking what I'd do is like have it not a completely split stereo. So I would just read it, not putting on any accents or any other kinds of voices. But when it would, when I was talking, you know, because there's some there's some sections of it which are almost written like as a as a script. So it's just the conversation with no attributions at all. There's there's a few different styles of of you know writing doing going through there. Um, so I, it was it was tricky, but the second novel that I uh, I completed, which is a bit shorter, but is actually set up when I was thinking about it because I was actually um, sitting down to write it, and I had the story, but I was like, okay, whose point of view of these two main characters is I'm gonna am I gonna take the story from? And I realized actually all I can do here is is take both of the main characters, and they they take alternate chapters. And the conceit is that the two of them are sitting there in a room 20, 30 years after the events that they're describing. And they're having a conversation like we are now in a way, but I will start telling the story to the other person. Uh, and then that person continues telling the story back. And it's a male and female character. And I, I'd love to do a, an audio version of that because it would, I think it would work really well as, as, as an audio book because you've actually got two characters talking in the first person but also they're describing second person what the other person you know what the other person was doing 20 years ago which is a bit it's it's a strange thing but again i'm not going to write a book which doesn't interest me in a in a new way that way so uh. right but if you separate the characterizations from the rhythms um you know in other words the character can change but his rhythm always stays the same no matter how you're yeah. doing his voice you can make that you can chain those links together by doing that yeah so that's why I said that's why you would have to do it and not me or someone <laughs> I say, a skilled I, voice well, actor. We'll put more thought into that, I think. Uh, we'll, a, we'll work it out. We'll work yeah. it out. Anyway, so I uh, the second I say this, yeah, it's about, yeah, it's a good book. Sounds sounds like it'd be a good. Who's reading that, Scott? Uh, Mark V Viator. V I E T O R. I may have heard him before. I you know, his name around. You bet. Who else? What was the other one? Is that uh, the same? A Fall of Moon Dust, also by Arthur C. Clarke, read by Oliver Wyman. 
Okay, don't. And a fall of moon dust is a novel about uh, a, a bunch of people kind of on a tour bus on the moon. Um, mm-hmm. It ends up uh, sinking in some sand on the moon. Oh, I think I've read and, that. And uh, it's kind of like a disaster story, uh, you know, like a, what do you call that? What, what was that movie where the the cruise yeah, ship went underwater? Poseidon uh, Adventure. Poseidon Adventure, yeah, Poseidon Adventure on the moon, kind of. Sort of, also 1970s themes. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, right. And having lived through it, it was a cheesy decade. It sure was. <laughs> that it was. That it was. You know what? Great for great for World War II movies, though. Uh huh. Cool. Yeah. Great World War II movies. All right. Um, the next big news on Audible.com is they they released all 13 episodes of Bradbury 13. Um, the first, really? The first one is A Sound of Thunder. Um, now these are for those of you who haven't heard these. Um, the Bradbury 13 is an audio drama that was released on National Public Radio. Um, I'm not sure when. Um, in the 80s. In the 80s, yeah. And it was they're they're really Holy excellent uh, audio dramas. Um, one of the best ones I've heard is A Sound of Thunder, and it's here. Um, but one of the problems they've had on Audible is that Audible is not in stereo, so. Um, is that, this is not in stereo. Well, it's got it's got maybe that's what made them want to release it here because Audible has come out with their new enhanced audio, but the the enhanced audio I don't know why it it says Audible enhanced audio is CD quality sound. Uh, a file size for one hour of audio is twenty eight megabytes. Have to megabytes. download one and find out. Yeah, so I'm gonna after the show I'm gonna download one and see if it's in stereo because it's they absolutely made new art for it too. it's absolutely necessary that it be in stereo. If it's not, absolutely. those are uh, they just lose so much of their effectiveness. Um, but it's, but a sound of thunder is an example of uh, a really yep. nice piece of radio drama that's done in stereo. You you want to listen to it in headphones and uh, it's really a remarkable experience. It's really good stuff. I just googled it here. It says the sound design. Another distinctive feature of the sound was the sound design. Um, it was from McDonough, McDonald's or whatever his name is. I can't read it from this. Determined to create all the sound effects from scratch and not to rely on sound effects libraries. Yeah, so they want to keep a a totally organic feel. So it sounds like a work of art. So uh, I've got, I, I see. I've got these on cassette, and I still get yeah. people asking for for them. You know, from years years ago. Yeah, I was asking you about them what six months ago, Jesse, and I yeah. still have not found a set. Um, well, know, this uh, if these are all if these are in stereo, <coughs> this is going to be the way to get them because sure. they've got new art. The only thing that looks like it doesn't have is the interviews that were done with Ray Bradbury. Those are on the cassettes. Oh, are they? Um, and they released uh, those as you know. They also didn't release the thirteenth episode. So this is this has all got right. the thirteenth episode, but it's missing the interviews. You bet. Stereo. And, uh, Sound of Thunder is a uh, it's a time travel story. People go back in time uh, to hunt um, predators. So uh, the, you know their tour guide comes through, and um, it, it sort of deals with the idea that you know a slight change made in the past can be a big change in the future. The butterfly effect. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, terrific radio drama, but. Got to, got to be in stereo. Years. Got to be in stereo. So uh, maybe next time I can report whether it actually is in stereo or not. Yeah, got to get that. Okay. Sounds like a gun for a dinosaur. Yeah, yeah. it does. It's it's very similar, but um, this is actually a better story. Mm-hmm. Oh. <laughs> Gun for dinosaur is good, but uh, this is better. Yeah, it's fun stuff anyway. Uh, okay, from Blackstone, I've got a few titles. Um, the first one is a Galaxy Trilogy. This is Volume 3. This is some of Jesse's favorite stuff here. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Old sixties stuff. Yeah, it includes uh, three novelettes or novellas. Uh, the entire thing is fourteen hours long. Um, the first one is Giants from Eternity by uh, Manly we- Wade Wellman. Um, scientist Oliver Norfleet and his buddy Spencer Dupog turn to history's greatest scientific minds to stop a mysterious red blight that is growing around the site of a meteor crash and consuming everything in its path. Um, okay. Manly Wade Wellman, I think this is his first audiobook. Ah, that's good. No, he, uh, he, we have a few of his shorts over at LibriVox. Oh, you do? Okay, I haven't seen oh, much. Okay. Yeah, go look at that index I put up. I, okay. you know, you oh, can yeah, actually look it up by often. We talk to you about new releases as well. Yeah, we sure will. So you're the guy who knows about LibriVox new releases. Mm-hmm. Okay, I know this some is, oh, sorry. Well, the science good, fiction stuff, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Lords of Atlantis by Wallace West is... Uh, Atlantis had once been ruled by the Titans, who were replaced by the red-skinned, red-haired Martian... Martians... Zeus, Hera, Athena, and others. I guess Zeus, Hera, and Athena are Martians. Now the Titans, chafing under the so-called benevolent progress of their rulers, plot rebellion. And the last one is City on the Moon by Murray Leinster. The Earth's shuttle's moon-based landing mechanism is destroyed by an avalanche. Joe Kenmore determines that explosives were the cause and must rush to restore the landing beam before the shuttle reaches its point of no return. That's awesome. I'm glad to see some more Leinster in print. Yeah. Unabridged, uh, Tom Weiner is the narrator. That's from Blackstone. Yeah, Lodge. he's done all of the uh, Galaxy trilogy so far. Okay. He's now, great. Okay, next is a book called Hater by David Moody. Um, it says a modern take on the classic apocalyptic novel, which I... Uh, you know, I, I don't know anything about this. Uh, you guys, have you heard of a book called Hater? I've seen it uh, run around the blogs a little bit. Okay. It says, Hater tells the story of Danny McCoyne, an everyman forced to contend with a world gone mad as society is rocked by a sudden increase in violent assaults. Christian Christened haters by the media, the attackers strike without warning and seemingly without reason. Within seconds, normally rational, self-controlled people become frenzied, vicious killers. As the carnage mounts, one thing is soon clear. Everyone, irrespective of race, gender, age, class, or any other difference, has the potential to become either a hater or a victim. In the face of this mindless terror, all McCoyne can do is secure his family, seek shelter, and watch as the world falls apart. But when he bolts the front door, is he shutting the danger out or locking it in? It's getting, it's getting pretty good reviews on Amazon, so that might be... Guillermo de Toro is quoted on the front. A head-spinning thrill ride, a cautionary tale about the most salient emotion of the 21st century. This is from Infected Books, uh, the paper book version, uh-huh. and I read uh, or listened to the audio drama of one of their uh, things done for um, uh, by... Uh, it's not Broken Sea, it was before them. Dark, Darker Projects did one of theirs. Uh, I think it might be a zombie book. Hmm. It reminds me, you know, obviously fact, this came way before, zombie. but Stephen King's right. Cell uh, was uh, his his attempt at a zombie novel. Um, wasn't great, but it was good. Um, this the the way they described it there is is a little bit sort of twenty eight days later kind of thing. Yeah, it does yeah. sound um, like it. Yeah. Feels it a little bit like that with a rage virus. So it, this is the hate virus rather than the rage yeah. virus. <laughs> I've been yeah, playing yeah. a little bit of Left for Dead, which is is a zombie video game, um, mm. and it. It plays really interesting, but it 
it also doesn't have the thing that I think makes most zombie movies and I don't know, I haven't read any zombie novels per se, I guess, but it makes zombies interesting is that, you know, you could get infected and become one of them. That That's not in the game, so basically you're just killing zombies. Oh, so if you get caught by a zombie, you don't then transfer don't and then start shooting which, your teammate and stuff. Which is really bad, I think. Yeah. Or, or eating your teammate would be much more interesting. You know? Yeah. And, or, and maybe you, know, you could, losing control maybe you could and pretend not... Maybe they don't know that you're infected, and then you can suddenly just turn on them with your your new fangs. Yeah, or something. it's more of a shooter, and it has you know shooting zombies, and it's it's scary, but it doesn't have the the lurking fear of you know infection that I think is what makes zombies so compelling, or at least part of it. Mm-hmm. So, have you seen the film Twenty Eight Days Later? Oh yeah, yeah. sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that is. One of the great things with the, See, with the drip. Zombies aren't supposed to be able to move that fast. <laughs> Everything I've read about zombies, they're supposed to be really yeah. slow. Yeah, well, they're not zombies. It's it's a virus. It's right, nice. right, right. All right. Next up is um, also from Blackstone Audio, a book called "Of Bees and Mist" by Eric uh, S E T I A W A N. Any I don't, say I don't, say that one more time. S E T I A W A N. Sishan? Sita one. Sita one. It's an Indonesian name. Sita um, This richly atmospheric debut chronicles the passions, betrayals, and complex domestic politics of three generations of women whose emotional lives manifest as supernatural phenomena. So it's a I just went to the website uh-huh. and it's playing music at me and I can't work out how to turn it off. <laughs> <laughs> Uh-oh. Yeah. Not um, it, it's getting positive reviews on Amazon as well. It is. It's getting very positive reviews. Um, so this may be a, another example of the the literary fantastic Magic fiction realism kind of coming out. Yeah. I wonder if uh, Charles Tan knows anything about this one. He might. He might. Do you guys read a lot of reviews before you read the books no, and then almost, review them? Almost never. I almost never. Do. Ah. So when you say it's got good reviews on Amazon, you're I'm just, just looking at the score and ah, to see how okay. many people have reviewed it. Um, you know, if it's two reviews, then it's it's not going to be um, out for very long. But uh, yeah, I, no, I, I, just, use, I, use I don't. I really stay away from all of that kind of. So you do use the score. I use for the score to 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 see what what people whether In people are talking thing, about. Yeah. 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 Um, but I don't. I don't. I I think the problem with putting stars on is is people look at the star and then if it doesn't have a, uh, a one you know if it doesn't have five stars or one star they don't read it and it's sort of they don't read the review they don't read the review um, oh. and I think that that's a mistake because to, to give a number out of five or out of ten or out of a hundred mm-hmm. to something without describing it is to, to say nothing yeah right? I totally agree I say she's a ten what do you mean she's a ten doesn't mean anything but if you, I totally agree you with know, you. use poetry to yeah. describe her, I'm much more interested than, you know, she's a ten. Yeah. Well, you can often tell that by sort of like the the line of the graph with that with the Amazon.com. If it's like all That's fives right. and all ones, you're like, this is I'm either a big be fan good, of Metacritic. Mm. A big fan of Metacritic, but I'm not a fan of um, <laughs> of individual, you know, one star. Because yeah. I mean, it doesn't mean anything. All it means is telling you about the person. Now I I'm yeah. getting to know your style of reviews and that helps me understand uh, you. But just as an individual, you know, anonymous person, yeah, reader of books, you know, um, 
which is four out of five stars, that doesn't mean anything. I have How many tomatoes do you give it? Is yeah, uh, it's, it's just you're missing the point. That's not what you can't summarize a book in. No, I was just my my question was really about actually the reviews themselves because I oh, really yeah. dislike reading reviews before I've I've taken it myself. I don't mind if people like it or don't like it. I, yeah, so I understand mm-hmm. what you're getting at there. I, I like to know I like to know if it's going to be something I'm going to read, especially when it's a new author. Um, so if I see a whole bunch of five star reviews, I don't want to read that. You know um, how I look out if I want to read a book I or not? Read the I, reviews and see what people are saying about it. I subscribe to a blog called A Dribble of Ink. And it and all, pretty much all he does is post like the front covers, like the the art of the front of the books. And I know it's a really shallow way of saying it's like seeing what kind of books that I'd like to pick up. But I really enjoy seeing the front covers of science fiction and fantasy books. And, uh, and anything uh, anything that gets you closer to the, I mean, you know, standing yeah, in the, the vision or going yeah. through the rack was incredibly important for me. And and now it just that those days are gone and i just have yeah that's why i'm saying that i that's why i like this blog because it's it's like browsing bookshop he just goes what do you think of this book and i'm like oh maybe and he goes what do you think of this book and i'm like "Uh, yeah maybe (laughs) that kind of cover of the steel remains is lame the american cover of the steel remains is lame and yet there is an awesome cover of the steel remains done by the you know subterranean press (laughs) they Mm. they got they get it they know you know to sell a book what was the front of the book of that um well, you just type it into Google Images. But, oh yeah. Um, what's your yours is just like some woods and dark and. No, no, no. I've got I've got a sword with blue smoke coming off oh, it. Oh, that's, uh, that's the that's the that's the that's the subterranean. Oh yeah, it's great. Yeah, I'm I'm really impressed yeah, with it. I I was not sure because this is from Orion Books, so I wasn't quite sure. Oh okay, maybe that's. Golan's Fantasy. So uh, yeah, I, I'm impressed with the right. Three different covers, and the only one that's good is the one that's you know got a person. Yeah, I think on that's it, the paperback, than... the European paperback one. Okay. All right. All right. Next up is Lois McMaster Bujold. Um, this is Sharing book, Knife. Yeah, book four of the Sharing Knife called Horizon. Um, in a world where malices, remnants of ancient magic, can erupt with life-destroying power, only soldier sorcerer Lake Walkers have mastered the ability to kill them. But Lake Walkers keep their uncanny secrets and themselves from the farmers they protect. So when Patroller Dag rescued farm girl Fawn. Neither expected to fall in love, marry, and defy both their kin to seek new solutions to the split between their peoples. So, um, is this related to the Curse of, Ch- Curse of Chalion universe? Is it set in the same... No, no. Uh, the Curse of Chalion is a different series. Okay. The Sharing Knife is uh, its own deal. Well, she she writes really, really good fantasy, at least judging by the Curse of Chalion. I remember that as very positive. Yeah, she tells just a really good story. Um... That's been my experience with her. Okay. I have a book oh, that, that's a completely life. different cover. Interesting. Hmm. Uh, the Richard Morgan um, yeah. UK. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. Post link in it. I, I quite like it. Yeah, right. it's nice. It's got a sword. <laughs> it is. Um, the, I think the uh, subterranean press is even better. It's got a sword ah. and a guy. And a guy. Is that the dark, murky one? Really gay looking guy. He's really, really gay looking. He's got a Is he actually really gay? <laughs> He's wearing a vest, you know. Yeah. I, Is it fringe? I, 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 it's a pink hat and a vest. <laughs> Does he have a parasol? <laughs> yeah. He's got a sword and a and a steel parasol. Nice. All right, only two left here. They're both um, media tie-ins uh, from Simon and Schuster. We have Star Trek, the audiobook. 
Um, the novel is by Alan Dean Foster. This is read by Zachary Kinto, who played Spock in the new movie. Um, Alan Dean Foster, n novelizations are um, not something I've read a lot of, but Alan Dean Foster read a novelization of Alien that I must have read three or four times when I was younger. Um, loved it. So, uh, Alan Dean Foster, he also wrote the Star Trek um, animated series novelizations. I think yeah, he I remember wrote having the, those when I was a kid, too. I think he wrote the um, novelization of Predator mm -hmm. movie. When I was a kid, I went to see Predator, and I wasn't allowed in the theater because mm -hmm. I was too young. Huh? My uncle, who's like two or three years older than me, um, he got in, and he's like, so I guess I'll see you later. It's like, <laughs> right? It's so upset. Uh -huh. so I was really looking forward to it. I thought it was going to be an awesome movie to see in the theater. So I'm like wandering around Calgary looking for some, uh, something to do, and I found the novelization on the shelf, and uh -huh. I, I bought it and read it while he's in the, in the movie theater watching the movie. I'm reading the novelization. Um, <laughs> Only point being, uh, the book is, in this case, not as good as the movie, uh -huh. but it wasn't a bad book. Yeah, uh, yeah. He writes he writes pretty good novelizations. Yeah, the, the only other novelization that I remember being fond of was The Abyss, which was written by Orson Scott Card. Well, that would have been interesting. Yeah, and... Um, yeah, it's it's much. There's much more stuff in there than was in the movie. Um, that's so. a, I think that's a very good science fiction movie, except mm -hmm. except for the ending. It's a very very good science fiction movie, I think. Um, I I do remember reading about this uh, this book that he got the um, uh, he got the script, and uh, I I didn't remember that it was actually Orson Scott Card who wrote the 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 story though. Um, oh yes, it says here on Wikipedia. Good. So what actually happens is that, uh, oh, it actually says here, um, it, it sort of sets there, uh, but it goes into more background about right. the main characters. Mm -hmm. um, it, it says, I uh, just noticed it here on the, uh, on the Wikipedia page, but actually he had written that before they actually started doing the filming. Mm -hmm. And it was given his like first four or five chapters about like the background of these different characters was actually given to the actors themselves mm. and then they used that to sort of pad out their own backstory oh, so while it that. while it's a novelization the novel was written early enough to actually have a little bit of influence on the characters or how the characters were played in the film that's and really i, I do the characters at all no and i think i think that's actually a good thing about the the, the book is that the, the 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 two main characters the the husband and wife who are going through the divorce and are signing the divorce papers is a is a great little backstory bit and you can really tell the history that they've had together just by those small moments you know when the where they're sleeping and he's snoring and she just goes turn over and he just you know immediately turns over like he's done a thousand times before in the night and uh, mm -hmm. that was I mean I'm not sure if it did come from the book but it's you can you can see that they put a lot of thought into the the backstory or the the, the back character or the the character roots there uh, that, that movie has one of the best science fiction scenes if it's not it might not be the greatest science fiction movie ever but it has one of the best science fiction scenes in it um, what's that, that? Ever seen. The, the water the, tentacle no mm -hmm. no no, the drowning scene. <laughs> the drowning scene. Oh. Where she, yeah. she's, she's stuck in the, uh, you know, he's in the suit and she's not. Oh, yeah, and, and across. It, it's not science fiction in the sense that it's, um, you know, it, it uses... Um, Ray guns and spaceships. No, yeah. there's nothing that couldn't be done in real life. But the point yeah, is, yeah. it's science and it's fiction. And it's um, it's an original sort of good solution, science fiction solution to 
a problem that's insoluble. Insoluble. Right. Yeah. Right. Uh, go, what, go, what, go what are you going to do? You're going to have to drown. You're going to have to die. Sorry. Mm. But but we can do it. But, it's cold out there. Mm-hmm. We'll be fine. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, yeah, and I think all of that was right? betrayed oh, by the last few lines of the film where they come up and they go, uh, we yeah. should be dead. Yeah, we haven't that, been... That's what I'm and saying. I'm just like, you've just gone through it. Like, in the, exactly what you said, you've just gone being down below and stuff yeah. like that, but then they want them to come back out, you know, for the thematic end of the film where it it's all bright. And... It didn't need it. No, mm-hmm. I don't even mind the aliens. What I'm saying is that they suddenly... Uh, you know, they suddenly come out and they, they come out and they open up the they open up their... their um, uh, Subramine base, and uh, and they would die because of decompression, you know, or whatever yeah. it is, and and get yeah. bends and or all that kind of stuff. You know, get some serious brain trauma. Yeah, and stuff like that. Well, but then they just they just write that off by a line in the script saying we should be dead, and yeah. it's like, yeah, but by pointing should... out that, I mean, that's even worse, right? Yeah, I would I, after. I'm just saying after all of that stuff that you're talking about, how the decompression was such a big thing, and the and the pressure and the water and all the uh, oppressive stuff, just to suddenly go. Oh, we should be dead now. But tell you what, I'll just say, why aren't we dead? And we'll just write it off. Which is, again, only a small complaint about that film. But it did it, because it's the last thing in the book that you know, one of the last lines of the book that they leave you with. I'm just uh, not the book, it the is. movie. Well, you know, I mean, they did. They did leave the aliens there to say. I mean, perhaps they could suck the nitrogen bubbles oh. out of your blood as you come up too fast. I, I, but no, I agree. But they did because all the rest of the times, the only way that they could affect the inside of the, um, the only way that they got inside of the submarine was by, by the water tentacle. Yeah. Um, or they were outside of the submarine. That's the whole point of them that they're outside and separate. So, so to suddenly have this magical action at a distance that took place there at the end. Exactly. Was, um, and the Deus Ex Machina that's, that's yeah, it wasn't even needed. They could have just they, they could have just not yeah they could have just not done it or just not explained it or something one of the, like that. One of the yeah. things um, that I, I've been thinking a little bit about is is endings. What what they say in a in a movie, and I'm not sure if they say they say this in books too. I think is cut it off before the end, make the end before the end. If you edit the movie and just remove that scene and you know have them you know, on their way up, dot, 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 you can yeah. put in your own solution. Right. Yeah, yeah, and that's then, what I'm saying. Then you get the, the, the better movie. The movie yeah. is improved by less content, right? I, I forget who said this. I, it, it, my memory, I think it was Kurt Vonnegut who said, you know, you write a book, your first draft, and then for your second draft, go through and cross out every other word. <laughs> Better choose the right ones. <laughs> there you go. Well, but John that's was the whole, walking up the hill. Yeah, but you know, I mean, the, <laughs> the, the fundamental idea there is, yeah, you you have the reader or the watcher in this case has a role, and and you should not, as the writer, forget that role. Give them something yeah. to do. Yeah. Which, you know, mm-hmm. you let them use. I, their I'm a big believer in that, and that's why my my why first novel I mentioned before. I, I'm just saying that my, people complain that I didn't put enough in there, but then other people said, oh, no, it was good, because then I actually had to think. And I'm like, yeah, that's the kind of balance that I want to get, and also it doesn't take as yeah. long to write. Um, yeah. I, I think, I'm a big believer in not over overloading stuff and just getting on with the story. I think shorter shorter books are, are generally better than longer books, just because you, you, can oft, you often just have the same amount of plot. Yep. And the same and character. Ideas also, are what drives the fiction for me. Yeah, but it's also yeah. easier for the goldfish effect. 
you know, I mean, I don't know if you know what I'm talking about. It's you, you, you're a good piece of science fiction. You're basically supposed to be reaching into a goldfish bowl and exposing the goldfish to a whole new gestalt by yanking him out of the bowl real fast. And so the shorter the work, the easier it is to shock the reader with whatever the hook is. Yeah. Can be. Yeah, no, totally in there. Fantasy, totally fantasy might be long because, of, because it doesn't do that. It's immersing exactly. you in something rather than exactly. pulling you out. Yep. Interesting. Well, that's a good way of good way of looking at it. I've never I've never really seen it in that like yanking out rather than immersing in kind of yep. thing between fantasy and and science fiction. That's great. Might be an interesting essay somewhere in there. Yep. No, I think I think you've just said everything that you need to say about. It. <laughs> <laughs> We're done. What else we got, Scott? Hey, um, I just wanted to note also on that Star Trek audiobook, as you know, you know, I'm I'm a fan of the Star Trek audio, and it's interesting that this is unabridged. Um, Normally, yeah, a Star Trek that, audio is a three-hour abridgment, and this one is, uh, what, eight hours long, unabridged. Um, okay. So, that's interesting to note. They also sent us a clip, um, which I'll tack on to the end of this podcast for those of you who want to listen all the way to the Ooh. end. We're going to have a long three hours. Yeah, it's going to be yeah. a 12-hour podcast, but Uh-oh. I'll just, I'll just talk, tack it on the end there. That's fine. Um, also, <laughs> unabridged is uh, the latest Star Wars novel which is the third volume of the Fate of the Jedi series. It's called Abyss by Troy Denning. Abyss? Um, wow. Yeah, Abyss, you bet. Hey, um, I posted uh, some video on the SFF Audio website that uh, was just a roundtable discussion between these authors that are mm-hmm. writing this current series. It's three authors writing three books each for a total of nine books in this Star Wars series. Anyway, um, what's really interesting from the audio standpoint of those uh, two videos I posted was at the very end they get into a discussion of what it's like for an author to be a bridge to audio. Um, It's it's rare now. It's much more rare now than it was. In fact, I think it's all but disappeared. Um, Except for Ian M. Banks' latest Yeah, release. Ian M. Banks' latest You mentioned is, that last week, didn't you? Yeah, and also um, I was very excited to get my hands on um, a book called The, the Terror by Dan Simmons. Mm-hmm, that's abridged. read by Simon Vance as well, who did it's the... It's abridged. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's the trip to the North Pole book, isn't yeah, it? The, yeah, on the... I'm, I'm listening to Hyperion right now, which I am absolutely loving it. It's oh, terrific. you know, maybe that one isn't done by Simon Vance if it's abridged. Maybe there's two different versions. Um, there may be two different versions. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but the terror, the, the audio that I saw oh, was abridged. Sorry. Dan Simmons writes long, though, so maybe they had to yeah. abridge it to make yeah. it for that. So I'm just going to read it in print. I just think it's strange that this guy, when you were talking about the Star Trek book, mm-hmm. how it was, it, was, it was a film which is, what, two and a bit hours, I guess. I can't yeah. remember how long the film was. But then they make it into a book, which would take eight hours, and then they abridge it back down again into a, <laughs> into a three-hour... So you've yeah. gone from something which takes two and a half hours up to something which takes eight hours, and then back down to three and a half... But that, you said that That's wasn't abridged, though. That no, this one so is not. A, this one is not, but yeah, that okay. was common. Like, it just seems a bit, it's just a bit strange that you'd start off with maybe a TV episode and then take it out into a full book and then reduce it down again. So, <laughs> uh, but if you think about it, it starts out as a 90-page script. I mean, yeah, it's, that's what I'm page, saying. It's, it's a page a minute when you write a script. Right. So yeah. that was a 90-page document mm-hmm. that got turned into a 300-page document that got shrunken back down to a 120-page document. You <laughs> yeah, know? that's what I'm saying. That's like another level on top of this, what's it like to have your work abridged? It's like, what's it like to have your work made, it's extended? It's like refried bean, beans or something. It's like, yeah. <laughs> start off as, 
just regular beans, and then you cook them, and then you cook them again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, to, yeah, to, yeah to, be, to be fair, um, and I've said this before, on the Star Trek audiobooks, I enjoyed those. They don't make them anymore, you know, but I enjoyed those as productions. Yeah, there were about three hours, and I enjoyed them as abridgments. There's no way I would have listened to that <laughs> much Star Trek audio if they were eight hours each. There's just yeah. no way. There's just well, they no put way. out a lot So what they did is they come out in three hours. It's, you know, uh, about as long as a movie. And uh, the sound effects they added, um, usually a single narrator. In fact, almost always a single narrator, except for the very earliest ones. Um, th- there was some really good audio there. Um, if you want to try one out, I, I recommend Q Squared um, by Peter David as an audiobook. It's three hours long. And if you listen yeah, to that one, you'll get a Q really Q. good feel for um, how good they get. That's as good as they get. It cool. was read by John Delancey, right? Yeah, it was read by John Delancey, um, but it was really, uh, it was a really well-made audio. And uh, I don't read Star Trek novels in print. You know, I was only listening to the audios um, just because I enjoyed them. But those days are gone. Now we got um, unabridged. So I guess that's, uh, you know, they may have that's been better abridged. <laughs> they may have been better abridged. I don't know. It's possible. I guess we could find out. Yeah, I think I wouldn't mind my stuff being abridged as long as I was doing the abridging <laughs> and then I could change it <laughs> again. Right, right. Well, that's like editing, though, when you do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. It'd just be like a different edit, but not an abridged edit, just a shorter edit, you know. Mm-hmm. Maybe. You know. A remix. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. You bet. All right, well, that's all I've got. Okay. Uh, Greg, was, anything sorry. new yeah. coming from uh, yeah, LibriVox? LibriVox? Yeah, there's, well, the... Uh, Collection short collection twenty five is in proof listening. That should wow. show up in the next week or so. I'm like three or um, four behind on those. Yeah, well, uh, we're, they're starting to slow down a little bit. Good. We've also done a full a full issue of a nineteen thirties copy of Astounding, being helmed by a guy named Bellana Times, uh, who also does a lot of science fiction over on LibriVox. We've also got. Um, couple of novels coming out uh, brigands of the moon by ray cummings read by somebody called seth 1864 hmm. and uh one i'm looking forward to the pirates of Urzats by mary leinster that's awesome uh, <laughs> being read by somebody called my lantis and i don't these are there i don't know that book but the name grabs me <laughs> you know yeah. it's got the most awesome cover ever from astounding if you look up the cover for astounding on the pirates of Urzats, it's by it's mary leinster right yeah. Yeah. Um, on the cover of that, it's it's got a pirate climbing, uh, you know, the rope between what, what's the la- rope ladder between the the ship's side mm-hmm. and the, the top. What, rigging. The rigging. Yeah. He's climbing the rigging, and in his mouth, instead of a knife, he's got a slide rule. <laughs> <laughs> that's the best science fiction cover ever. I yeah, think. that says it. Pirates mm-hmm. with slide rules. That that sums up the golden age. Yep. Let me just go in. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's really good. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. It's, uh, I can see why that becomes a, uh, a well-known like, image. What the hell's that in his mouth? It's like, I've never even seen a slide rule in real life. Really? No, I'm, I'm not that old, right? Calculators no, I, were around when I was a kid. Big but he has, got, he has got like a science fiction-y gun as well. It'd he been does, cool if he but, had, yeah, yeah. but, you know, he's definitely a pirate. I mean... Right, it's right. In orbit but there, right? My my slide rule is within arm's reach of where I'm sitting cool. right now. Oh, if you come up and visit me, please bring it with you, okay? 
I will. It's I, not hard to do. It's just it, it's, it, you have to understand the difference between accuracy and precision. Uh, a calculator <laughs> is extremely precise, but it's often very wrong. It's not accurate. A okay. slide rule is analog, and so it's actually more accurate, but it's harder to read, so it's uh -huh. less precise. Ah, uh -huh. interesting. I'll, I'll we'll talk about it. Yeah, I, I I'm I just I'm, I want to play with one. Because I, yeah. I know Heinlein was always talking about these things called slipsticks, and I thought... Well, to be honest, uh, my main... Thing? What the hell is he doing? Yeah, My well, main can... exposure to slide rules, I think, is from Heinlein uh, and comparable science fiction books of the same era. Yeah. Uh, yeah, well, I actually had to use them as a kid and everything. And they come in two types. They come in a, a long rectangular variety, which is what you're probably used to. Yeah, that's and then in there's... his mouth in the Pirates of Zats cover. There's a circular version as well, and that determined what, what click you were in in school, whether you had a circular <laughs> one or a rectangular one. That told you what kind of person you were. My so. school, it was Reeboks and Nikes. <laughs> yeah, neither of those existed in my school. There were Chuck Taylor All-Stars, and that was about it, but we had to wear uniforms every day, so I had black patent leather shoes on and all that stuff, but... I remember in my primary school, some I think it was like some calculator company came around and almost did a demonstration. So they came around and they got out these boxes and out of these plastic cases, you know, and then they, they opened it up and there was a calculator inside and they put one, you know, everyone got one and put on their desk and then we played around and then they went back in the boxes. And that yeah, was it for another, that was, that was boss, it for another few uh, years. The, the guy <laughs> who founded uh, the company I work for, um, he's a civil engineer, an old timer civil engineer. And he took his slide roll and he put it in a box with glass on the front and says, in case of emergency, break glass. <laughs> that's a, that's a really the great point. Singularity, right? Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. on his wall. It's terrific. When the atomic bombs go off in the sky and none of the electronics work anymore. Right. When the, yeah, an EMP pulse or whatever. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Well, There's I got my slide roll ready. There's this great essay or like article that I read once and it was, and it was, um, a competition between this like top mathematician and someone with an abacus to see who could work out the cubed root of some millions of number, you know, one million, like a number way, you know, so many digits. And it's like, okay, who can work out the cubed root first? Because apparently that's what the abacus isn't very good at. And they both right. go Gah! like that. And one guy's just working out in his head and this is a mathematician. The other guy's getting it down. And he's like, okay, I've got it down to like one decimal place. And then, you know, they had to make it to four decimal places or something like that. And it's actually, yeah. It was it was a very interesting way and and the person who wins at the end because it's sort of like okay top mathematician doing sums in his head no chance at all but then it's up against an abacus, um, so yeah. It's There's thing. actually a traditional form of counting in Korea whose name escapes me right now. Every kid in Korea knows how to do this. They count on their fingers. They put them out in front of them on the table, and essentially move them in categories to make sums. And that's way faster than yeah, any abacus. I've seen them do that. Yeah. Well, I find it's the best thing. Uh, the, the the most amazing thing is the people. The, the when I you know I've seen videos of people doing it and they close their eyes and they they put their fingers out in front of them, and they move their fingers as though they're doing an abacus. But what they're doing is just picturing mental the abacus. abacus it, yeah. Yeah. So it's yeah. like mental abacus. So they don't actually have to remember all the numbers. I've they got can my just mental start... slide rule right here, and it's yeah, yeah. <laughs> sliding. Oh oh, oh, I got the answer. There you yeah. go. What, <laughs> it, what I need is a mental keyboard for my computer. But yeah, that's that's coming. It's coming. Yep. Yep. No, I, I, it's a, it, it's an amazing how some things which are like like say so prevalent. Like who uses a calculator anymore? They just use. I mean, I use one on my mobile phone sometimes, but it's. 
I just well, I, I, have, even... I have one on my desk. I, I I still use it here and there, but you know what yeah, I yeah. I use? It's interesting. I, and I I should have learned Excel. in school, um, but I never I, I, I math was not my thing in school. So one of the things uh, I use as a calculator is to calculate ratios. I use Photoshop. So what I do, I, I've got a, uh, a rectangle that's, you know, 17 inches on one side and 12 on the other, and I want to change 1 to 20 inches. Well, I could, I could do that if I had a certain formula, or I could just type it into, type those figures into Photoshop and, um, you know, make sure that the ratio doesn't change and just type in one and the other one bumps up to the right size. That's yep. really cool because you just create a new image, don't you? Yep. And it says, that's my well, new yeah, image. The there it goes. And it works really well. <laughs> uh, but when I don't have Photoshop, uh, I've got I've to download the uh, GIMP or something. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's not hard to keep those ratios in your head. There, there's a set of rules. But that's the, the, one of the annoying things about computers to me is the really important mathematical procedures are buried. It's all the all the dancing bears and and flashing icons and all this sort of stuff that they that they fool around with. But you know, I mean, if you think about it, the Apollo astronauts went to the moon with 16k of memory. That's it. What's this I have, video? What's this video, uh, Luke? You just sent me a video on counting. On oh yeah, yeah. It's me counting on my fingers in binary at high speed. It's just ah. <laughs> oh my well, god! You're you're like Mr. Mr. Body Fast. You can do uh, juggling fingers. Well, it's the thing is, if you know any jugglers, you realize that all of them can do uh, not similar things, but we all find silly things to practice when we can't juggle. It's like once we were sitting around in a big group, and, and someone just turned to the group. There's maybe eight or nine of us sitting around a table, and he just said, what's everyone's best time with a Rubik's Cube? And it wasn't like, who here can do a Rubik's Cube, and what's your best time? It was just presumed that everyone who'd been juggling for a few years had also probably been the kind of person who'd have once learned how to solve a Rubik's sure. Cube. Yeah, uh, yeah. There's, and it was there's, true. There's... It went round and everybody had learned at some point how to do, solve a Rubik's Cube. So it's that kind of thing. There is a yeah, crossover. Interesting. Yeah, there's uh, a, an artist... Video that... in the in the post. Sorry, Craig. Oh, that's okay. <laughs> Uh, I was just going to say, there's this artist named Jonathan Borowski, I don't know if any of you guys ever seen him, but when he can't do art, when he can't think about doing art, he takes a piece of graph paper, and he started years ago just numbering, so he started one, two, three, and now when oh. you go to his exhibits, there's a stack of graph paper, like 20 feet tall, he's, he's up to the number, you know, 23,972,417, and That's he's still... A yeah, the guy's actually very interesting. If you ever check him out, his name's Borowski. He does a lot of good work, but he's he's I, a sculptor. I, I once read this this cool story to to shut your kid up to shut up a kid. You just say, okay, you have to write down um, one, and then ten, and then a hundred, or is it eleven? You know, one, eleven, one hundred eleven, and stuff like that. And I'll yeah. give you ten pounds for each number that you write down. But you've got to write all the numbers in between. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, you see, you see if they go for 1,111 1, for 40 quid, you know, or something like that. <laughs> so, Interesting. No, no, nobody's yeah. ever going to go up to 11,000, though. Well, not when you're nine. I, I listened to yeah. a, a book I haven't reviewed because it's, I couldn't find any way to put it on SFF Audio, but I'll tell you about <laughs> it here. Uh, Steve Martin uh, is a great writer, you know, the comedian. He yep. writes uh, very short novellas, which is one of the reasons I really like his writing too. He writes funny. He writes uh, odd. He writes basically like his humor, but mm -hmm. also very literary, very intelligent. And his book, uh, The Pleasure of My Company, the audiobook version, is about a uh, sort of a 
ADD sort of. No, it's not ADD. He's he's got something. He's got some mental disorder. Um, it's definitely not ADD. Now that I think like about it, some but, kind of spectrum disorder. He, he has trouble holding a job because he's really good at doing um, only one kind of thing, and that's uh, encryption. So, <laughs> he, and he's basically stalking a lady who lives across the street, and it's it's a very funny adventures of him trying to cross the street because he can't cross the street. Uh, it's a, no- it's a no- novel- novelette. It's really funny. right, and it's it's also you, it's kind of strange because it feels like a stalker book, but he's so it's Steve Martin, right? So he can't think he's very dangerous. Right. Um, but uh, his character to relax does magic squares, which is apparently a. Uh, uh, some sort of mathematical um, relaxation technique. I've never done one myself, but he explains all about it in this and saying how Benjamin Franklin was big mm-hmm. and such. Uh, Greg, you know about Magic Squares? I, I mean, I've seen them and done a few of them when I was a kid. I grew up in Philadelphia, which is Ben Franklin's home base. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, they're sort of like Sudoku for mathematicians. They're, right. I don't Yeah. But you, you make it all up yourself, right? You start in one Correct. corner and you and then you fill in and all the details. And it will work out by the end. Yeah. You, yeah, you make up your own rules. So eventually if you were to graphically look at it after a while, it's where they got fractals from. Because if you keep making the, the, the calculations, what you end up is the same picture over and over again. It always looks like a fern leaf, basically. Uh, oh, wow. So okay, right. if you take a piece of paper and just put a dot on it and make up a rule and say, you know, uh, every time I flip a coin, if it comes up heads, I'm going to put a dot, you know, two squares over and one square up. And if it comes up head, I'm going to put a dot right to the left of it and you just keep filling in dots after a while you'll get a fern leaf no matter what rules gotcha. you make up gotcha. and that's how fractals work and that's what and that the Mandelbrot set or something then I don't know. correct correct the Mandelbrot set just says that a point has three dimensions I don't want to get into too much detail here but <laughs> if you think about uh, it you already lost me yeah, yeah no I understand oh, but I'm just saying that it's any rule that you take out from that is gonna is gonna end up like a fern, you know, that's right. the kind of... Right, but normally when we talk about geometry, we talk about a two-dimensional object called a point. If yeah. you imagine the point is a globe, then it has an apogee and a perigee, a close part and a faraway part. And if you take those two and manipulate them, you end up with the Mandelbrot set. Ah, mm. uh, okay. I'm starting to visualize it. Um, this this audiobook came out uh, in 2003. It's... Uh, 300 minutes. It's nothing to do with science fiction, you say? Absolutely nothing to do with science fiction, <laughs> other than uh, it has this magic square and it's written by Steve Martin. Uh, anyway, but there was one thing I wanted to say about the um, LibriVox thing where you've done, Greg, the an entire issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, which, to astounding? me, that sounds... Yeah, or the Astounding, that was it. Um, yeah. uh, it's the one that we just looked at the cover, cover of, yeah? No, no, no. Oh, no, that was a different uh, one. Oh, okay. No, I'd have to go find it. It's it's from 1930. Oh, okay. I don't remember which month it is. It's being helmed okay. by Alana Times. That, that would be a really interesting, uh, really interesting uh, listen, in a way. It's because sometimes Absolutely. you think, well, what, 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 um... What's in between what, those those stories? Yeah. Um, yeah so I like, hear no, the editorial yeah. on how the no. this newfangled invention, the radio, is not going to take off. Correct. And all that stuff is in there, including letters to the editor, and oh. I did the coming attractions for next month, and I actually, I mean, doing uh, that audio That sounds recording. so good. I'm going to have to go and check that out, because that okay. sounds to me like a really interesting... Uh, it's uh, not ready yet, is it? No, it's, 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 it's almost finished up now. What we had to do was a couple of the stories were... 
continued from previous issues and end in future issues. So we had to worked in concert with the guys at Gutenberg to get all of those issues in. So if you look on Gutenberg, you'll see four or five issues in a row. That's so we could take them and put the whole story in with this one issue of Astounding. So nothing is in the middle. In other uh, words. Okay. You know, there was like the third chapter of a four-chapter book in this issue, so we put the other three chapters in, and I didn't. It's this guy named Bolana Times who's running the whole thing. Um, but and he did the letters to the editor. I did the coming attractions, and I have an actual musical recording studio, and so I've got all the effects box and stuff. So when it came to do the coming attractions, I, you know, in fact, you're wired. Coming attractions! <laughs> yeah, you're, you're wired through it right now, so I can do whatever I want here. And I used a whole bunch of special effects to... Uh, you know, next month in astounding stories of super yeah. science. You know, all that. Oh, that kind sounds of cool. great. That's true. Yeah, yeah, because that's sort of like a. It's it, it's like a, a little bit of history. Whereas if I just saw that magazine there, it's like I probably wouldn't pick it up and and read it immediately because it would be. Well, I don't know. It would it would feel dated, but then to see sort of like a it, new take it would on fall it. Fall apart as soon as you. Yeah, yeah, as well. it's, it's like yeah, yeah. We we could theoretically do it. Dust. You know, we could do the ads and stuff too. I mean, for you know whatever itch powder and all the stuff. Do the visuals and, on those, but. I know, I know. It's like I was trying to figure out how to how to do Santa Claus smoking a cigarette at one point, and everyone agreed I would just cough my way through it. So, <laughs> but. Hey kids. Yep. Yep. So. That's that's basically all I I know on my horizon that's going on on LibriVox, and but it it turns on a dime because somebody two seconds from now might decide to do something and boom it just shows up. So yeah. it's it's uh, it's an all volunteer site, and so it's as chaotic as every all volunteer site is and always will be. This is the yep. first time we've had someone from LibriVox on the podcast, and I'm I'm glad to have someone on uh, again. So I'll put the word out to other. Um, LibriVox people, okay? Yeah, I will, and, uh, you know, the guy, I'm not, I don't, I'm not speaking, you know, I don't have any sort of power to speak for LibriVox. There's a guy named Hugh who does all that, and, yeah, uh, yeah and, and, and he might be interested in, in doing that sort of He's thing, too. not a too. super science fiction guy, but, um... No, no, uh, but there's, there's, uh, Corey Samuel, who's, uh, uh, uh who's done a bunch, and she yeah. started these short science fiction stuff, and, and like I said... called her a, a man, um, but yeah, that's well, just by looking at her name incorrectly. Than, oh, uh, I gotcha. I, well, my name my name is Greg Marguerite. You can't imagine how much mail comes for Miss Marguerite Gregory. Ah. So, uh, well, you know, mail, presume. we all have that problem. Um, but but if you ever heard her voice, you wouldn't no, think No, I she, have her. I have okay. now heard her voice, and I am shamefaced. Yeah, well, she and, and, and Bellana Times and guys like that, we, we, we're running that end of science fiction but there are a lot of people from a lot of corners of the world all working on this stuff and you know we i mean i get we get requests all the time i'll get requests from uh someone in china you know learning english for the first time and they want to know how to say prestidigitate you know and, and <laughs> so like i don't even book. have to say that <laughs> Oh, I, you know, and so they they ask you. You're you're the guy who's. I seem to have what most people consider to be a neutral accent. Yeah, it's pretty and, neutral. And while I could do it, well, I, Are you I from have Chicago. A, no, I'm. I, like I said, I grew up in Philadelphia, and so I have yeah. that Northeast thing, and I'm working against it. I mean, I I I don't say, you know, who died and left you boss. You know what I mean? I I I can talk that way if I want to, uh, but but I've learned not to do that. Thankfully, nuns and monks beating it into me over many <laughs> years. Um, and, and so, since I have this neutral accent, a lot of people want to ask me how to say certain, certain things. And, 
I don't know if I'm the correct pronunciation, but I do it for them. So there's a project out the on the internet that um, has everybody um, uh, reading the same paragraph and using their dialect, you know, their their regional accent in English. Um, but what's cool about it is it also gives the details on what their history is. So if you know they're from Korea, born in Korea, and they moved to Canada, but spent five years in the United States or Australia, you get all that in their in their description, and then you listen to their voice, and you can almost hear the accent in right. You know yeah. the influence. There's a number of sites like that. Forvo is another one that does that. And at LibriVox, uh, I think a user named D has started up this thing where uh, different people will read the same Aesop's fable in. And you'll be able to go look and say, you know, I want to sound like I'm from whatever, Scotland. And you'll find a Scottish guy reading that Aesop's fable. My problem with that is that, you know, of the seven phonemes that could be pronounced, that fable does not necessarily hit all of them. Right. Yeah, you so, want some it scientifically chosen. Yeah, that's, that's right. what I think one of those websites does is it gets one with all the all the major pronunciations. Right. And again, I'm, I'm far more interested in the rhythms. So, you know, certain rhythms yep, are really easy too. and you pick them up right away. Like, if you want to do a beetle, you know, things go up at the end of the, the sentence. Who wants to do a beetle? Right. So, so that's a really... <laughs> Those are the worst Beatles impressions I've ever heard. I'm not good at accents. I'm sorry. This is why I'm not a narrator. So, okay. Okay. Well, well, I will try and... to say, though and look as stupid as I possibly can. I, uh, in one of my Winebob stories, I had a French character, and my French accent always comes out like Clouseau. You know, I want to claim, you know, one of these kinds of things. And I, I remember there was a line he had to say, he is a desert creature. And the only way I could think of to say this so it sounded French was, he is a desert creature. You know, and it, it had this ho 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 kind of feel to it. And Hello, I realized... Hello. Yeah, I realize how fake that is, but, you know, i got to work with what i got, so... Absolutely. Uh, I'm Luke. Go check me out on my website. Cool. I'm um, Greg Marguerite. Go check me out on LibriVox. Thanks so much, guys. Fantastic. Thank you, Okay. Guys. An incident has occurred, Admiral Barnett began, that concerns the entire student body. Academic immorality by one is an assault on us all. It will not be allowed to stand. Cadet Kirk, evidence has been submitted to this council suggesting you violated Regulation 1743 pursuant to the Starfleet Code of Ethical Conduct. Is there anything you care to say before we begin? Rapid decisions. A good part of his training involved learning how to make rapid decisions while operating under difficult circumstances. Standing there alone, with the eyes of everyone in the room lasered onto him, he could hardly imagine a more difficult set of circumstances. By now, it had struck home that he had not been summoned to receive an award. The assembly, however, had indeed been called for him. He was on trial. All right, if they expected him to break under the pressure to falter and whimper, they picked on the wrong cadet. He would stand tall and answer straight, bolstered by the certainty that he had done nothing wrong. Let the whole council have Adam, if that was their wish, and he knew exactly how to begin. Yes, sir, I do. I believe I have the right under the same code of conduct to face my accuser directly. The commandant conferred briefly with the administrator on his right, then looked back, not at Kirk, but towards someone in the audience. A figure rose. It was humanoid, but not human, at least not entirely human. Kirk gazed venomously at his accuser. His accuser gazed right back. 
they had never met before. The Admiral continued. Cadet Kirk, this is Commander Spock, one of our most distinguished graduates. He's programmed the Kobayashi Maru test for the last four years and improved it considerably in the process. At least it was regarded as improved until your last run-through threw many of the modifications into question. Cadet Kirk, the Vulcan's voice was deceptively controlled. Much time was spent assessing relevant information following your recent taking of the test in question. Upon careful review, it became clear that you activated a subroutine that had been embedded in the programming code, an insertion that somehow succeeded in evading all protective firewalls and resets, thereby changing the conditions of the test. Kirk forced himself not to sneer, knowing that was one stance that would not go down at all well with the Council. Your point being, he responded austerely. In academic vernacular, the Admiral Barnett elucidated coolly, you cheated. At such moments, there are two kinds of silence, dead quiet and quieter than dead. The latter now gripped the entire assembly hall. Respectfully, Kirk shot back, not the least intimidated by his accuser's serene confidence. You wouldn't accuse me of cheating unless you knew something I don't. The test's rigged, isn't it? I pretty much figured that out after I failed it the second time. Follow-up research into four years of preceding failures that I carried out on my own time only confirmed what I already suspected. You programmed it to be unwinnable. Given the available parameters, there's no way of saving the Kobayashi Maru and its crew and passengers, so the only way to win is to alter the parameters. The Vulcan's stare had not shifted, nor had his equanimity. I fail to see how that is relevant to these proceedings. Don't you? Allow me to enlighten you, Commander. If I'm right, if my assumptions and research are correct, then the test itself is a cheat. Your argument precludes the possibility of a no-win scenario. Kirk bridled. He wanted to throw more than just words at the Vulcan, but he could not do so here, now, in this place. Another time and place, however. I don't believe in no-win scenarios. Then not only have you violated the rules, the commander informed him calmly, you have failed to understand the principal lesson that is embodied in the test. Kirk almost bowed. I abase myself before your superior knowledge. Please enlighten me. Gladly. A captain cannot cheat death. The inevitable must be met with as much skill and resolution as possible. When winning is self-evidently not an attainable goal, the objective must be to preserve and protect as much as one can. That is a captain's task. That is the task of whoever is enforced to take the Kobayashi Maru test. To achieve what can be achieved when survivability is no longer an option. To achieve, not to evade. Kirk replied hastily, but he couldn't help himself. As it was, it was all he could do to keep from charging across the aisle and slamming his fist into that smug Vulcan face. Maybe you just don't like that I beat your test. If his response was intended to elicit an emotive reaction from his accuser, it did not come close to succeeding. I am Vulcan. Like is not a verb in our vernacular. I fail to comprehend your indignation, the Vulcan confessed. I've simply made the logical deduction that when considering your recent performance and your rationalization for the actions you took, that you are a liar. Kirk feigned astonishment. Oh, what an idiot I am for taking that personally. At last, something on which we are agreed. This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. 
please join us at www.sffaudio.com. <laughs>